Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm going to start off talking about walls. I want you to stick with me. Don't disconnect on me. Don't sit there and go, I don't know where he's going with this message and what it's got to do with communion. Trust me. All right? I want you to think about this. Walls serve two purposes. A wall keeps out wind and rain and extremes of heat and cold. Walls here protect us. Your walls at home do the same thing. Protect you from the elements of weather. Protect us from dangerous people. Protect us from animals. But walls also keep us from experiencing the good things in life. They can block out our ability to enjoy natural beauty. But self-made walls, the walls that we build in our hearts, in our souls, block us from having true relationship. Now, I'll be the first one to say, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, that relationships are messy. How many have ever been involved in a messy relationship? At least, at least, how many have been involved in, in multiple? Okay. So relationships are dangerous, they're messy. However, the impenetrable walls that we build in our heart are even more dangerous because they freeze our souls and they numb our emotions. And Jesus, knowing how we were created, would have none of this. Would not, Jesus does not like walls. And we know because he came to this earth to blow out a few of them, and he did. I want you to imagine within your, in your mind, what would it be like if you walked into this place today, knowing we're going to celebrate uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, whatever you're used to calling it, and you came in here and you found out that there was a wall blocking you off from experiencing the presence of God, experiencing communion, taking the the, the bread and taking the cup. What if there was a wall up in here and you walked into this place with a full expectation that you're going to take communion, that you're going to experience the presence of God, but you can't get to him? Now, Paul, the apostle, reminds believers that once there was a wall keeping us from the presence of God, and rightfully so at that time, that wall was there because God is holy and sin always leads to separation. Now, archaeologists recently discovered an inscription from the outer wall of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. This would be the temple that was in place when Jesus was here on the earth. That is a temple that was destroyed by the Roman army in 70 AD. And that, that inscription carries a stern warning from the high priest. And this is what it said. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who was caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Man, those are some serious words. But they were meant to keep out the very people that needed to be in that presence the most. The Jewish temple was full of partitions. There was an inner court for the priests, and there was a, the temple proper, which contained the main building containing the holy place, and within the holy place, there was a small room called the Holy of Holies, 
And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You remember the Ark of the Covenant that Moses had constructed almost 1,500 years prior. The access was limited to these sacred places to select Jewish priests and only the high priest and only once a year on the Day of Atonement was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. So here you are, you've been raised in this system of religion to believe he's in that room, he's in that place, he's not, and the closer I can get to that place, and possibly I'll be able to experience something of God, I'll be able to experience some type of comfort, I'll be able to experience some type of love, there'll be some sense of it, and yet if you're not a Jew, I'm talking about back then, the closest you could come is that place to read the sign. If you pass here, it means death. Jesus, our Messiah, is himself the sacrifice for sin. Now, that temple's been gone for almost 2,000 years. And the absence of that temple all of these years is God's way of saying that the sacrifice is no longer necessary. Now, there's going to be another one built. We know that. Because Jesus, the Messiah, when he returns, has got to walk into the center of that temple. We know another one's going to get built, and we know that there's going to be an animal sacrifice system put back in place again. But it's useless. It's not going to signify what it did originally. It is not going to serve the purpose that it originally did. It will be a religious temple. It will not house the presence of God there until Jesus shows up. He himself is the sacrifice that provides for the eternal atonement. Now, atonement, what does that word atonement mean? It sounds like a big religious word. Atonement means bringing together of two parties having settled the differences that kept them apart. Think about that. Jesus comes on the scene, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of this world. And he presents himself, hanging between heaven and earth, as the sacrifice, the Lamb, the one whose blood would be shed and would satisfy all the payment for our sins. He would take upon himself all of the wrath, all of the anger, all of the punishment that we deserve. And people have this idea sometimes, we think, even as us Christians, we think that sometimes, well, God just decided one day, you know what, sin's not a big deal anymore. No, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us that in this age, which started when Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, that God is not imputing sin to us any longer. Thank God. That is a message that is too rarely preached and many times misunderstood. God does not wink at sin. And just because the ground didn't open the last time you sinned, lightning bolts didn't come, you weren't consumed, does not mean that sin's not a big deal. But the fact of the matter is this, when Jesus showed up on the scene, all of the punishment, all of the anger, all of the wrath, all of the penalty for sin was taken by him on the cross. Now what kind of just God would it be that if he himself has said to us that all that sin went on him, and Isaiah 53 tells us so clearly, 
How could he then charge us with the same sin that his son has already paid for? He is the sacrifice that opened up the way and removed the walls between us. Amen? Now think about it again. Walls divide people. They keep us, not only from one another, but walls can keep you from an objective. People say uh, they've hit the wall when their goals are blocked or you're about two weeks into your diet. You finally lost all that water weight and then you were so happy and all of a sudden you realize the scale's not. And what do we say? Ah, you know, man, I hit the wall. It's stopping you from attempting or accomplishing, I should say, that, that goal. Now, the walls of the temple in Jerusalem used to proclaim, this is the only place you can experience God or the only place you can experience me. However, on the cross, and we don't, we don't talk about this enough of what was accomplished there. The moment that Jesus shouted, it is finished, just a little ways from there, in that temple, that had that inscription, that, in other words, we'd say, don't even think about walking through this door. Something very supernatural took place. At the very moment that Jesus said, it is accomplished, it is finished, it is fulfilled. That thick, heavy curtain, drape, whatever you want to call it, that stood between the rest of the temple and that little room called the Holy of Holies, a very central place where they believed and at one time was true that God's presence was. All of a sudden, that veil, that curtain, that drape ripped from top to bottom on its own. Signifying, you're not keeping me in a box anymore. And think about it, why would God have to be in that place? Because sin had not been dealt with yet. But in that moment that he said, it is fulfilled, it is finished, it is complete, it's done. There was nothing any longer to stop God from being among people again. Can't even imagine. Can't, can't, you know, someday we're going to be there and going to be able to talk to the Father and say, we know God has a heart. Say, what did it do to your heart that moment when all of a sudden you knew you could leave that room and if you encountered a person, they wouldn't be struck dead because of sin on them? Think about that. Think about that. We, we, say, we, we think in our human nature, because we're so negative thinking sometimes, we think that God stayed in that room to punish us. You know, I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. No, he stayed in that room to protect us. Because in our sin nature, you cannot come in the presence of God without experiencing being struck dead. And in the Old Testament, we have examples of that. So it was for our good. It was an act of love that he limited himself to that place on the earth. But all of a sudden, when sin was dealt with, and the, the, the backbone of sin over us was broken, there's nothing to keep him in there any longer. Just think what it did to his heart to once again, because from the time of Adam, he could not freely walk on the earth without endangering a human being. And Jesus paid that price. Never again will God be kept in a room away from his people. Because the sin that separated us had been dealt with. And those who believe, there's a qualifier, 
And those who believe and those who have placed their faith in Lord Jesus Christ are all welcome to come into his presence. Listen to how Paul, Paul, Paul must have, Paul, I, I can't wait to sit down and go, what happened to you when, when you finally realized the truth about the scriptures that you thought you knew? And I don't mean that in a condescending way or a critical way. I really want to know. As a teacher, I want to know from him, what did it do to you when you realized that Jesus was the Messiah, that God had fulfilled his word, but he did it very different than the way you expected it to. I think he caught a glimpse of it because look at what he wrote here to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Remember? Remember that inscription? Don't even think about coming in here. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. He's talking to us. He's talking to non-Jews. He's talking to the Gentiles. You didn't know the covenant promises God made to them. We didn't know. Before you came into this relationship with Christ, we didn't know. Even if you tried to read the Bible back then, you couldn't understand it. Why? Your eyes are blind. And even though we could have read, we could have read right through all those promises, it wouldn't have meant anything to us. Why? You've got to have a relationship with the author in order to understand that book. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That's scary. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ says this. The blood of Christ said, don't pay attention to the inscription. Don't worry about it. You come, come, come. My blood has neutralized all of that stuff. For Christ, verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from both. That's us. That's us. One new people. He brought, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Man, that's good news. That's good news. And we take communion in a little while. Let us remember that it was because of his body and because of his blood that walls have been broken down. Walls have been broken down. And we love to talk about walls being broken down between people, you know, communities coming together and people of all races and all creeds and all that other stuff and all that. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died to, first of all, break down the walls between us and God. You are no good to a community. You are no good to your neighbors. You are no good to your coworkers. You're no good to your family. You're no good to your spouse. You're no good to your kids. You're no good to anybody when you're on the other side of a wall. Now, those who are apart from Christ are hopeless and are in a hopeless condition. And the, and the scriptures make that clear. Because sometimes, you see, if you don't make stuff like this clear, 
that someone could get the idea of, oh, okay, so we're all good now. Doesn't matter what church I go to, doesn't matter what religion I partake of, it doesn't matter what my belief system is, because after all, Jesus came and broke the walls down. Yeah, he did. But that freedom doesn't belong to you until you belong to him. Now, he came to bring us to God. He didn't come to judge the world. The world is already under the sentence of death. He came to bring us to God, to declare us righteous and to make us acceptable unto God. Now, when I say declare us righteous, that is not, well, all of a sudden, let's see, Jesus doesn't put you on a probation program and say, we're going to watch you for 60 days. And if you're good, you keep your nose clean, then you get your righteousness papers. No. We're declared righteous the moment that we express and declare and demonstrate our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bam, righteous. Apart from the works, apart from our character, apart from, apart from everything but our faith. Faith is the qualifier. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in the fact that he came to this earth to die for us, and faith in the fact that he has invited us into a relationship through him with his father. Now the sad truth is that wall that keeps unbelievers, that keeps sinners from our loving Heavenly Father, is, listen to me clearly now, is a wall that exists in their own mind. Sin was dealt with at the cross. Jesus demolished the wall. We are forgiven. The way to the Father is open for all of us who would come to him in faith. You know, even after we opened our hearts to Christ, many of us still suffer from the effects of our life before Christ. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Memories from the past, cycles from the past, temptations from the past. It's like the voice of the grave is always calling, hey, look at me, look at me. Do you remember this? And you remember when we did this? And you remember? So some of us, even though the walls have been broken down, even though our hearts have been open to Christ, there are many of us that still hide behind walls to protect ourselves from hurts and wounds of our damaged past. And every one of us has one. Now, if we would remember to take those damaged areas to Jesus, who is our great physician, yes? If we'll take those damaged areas, take those things that we're still hiding behind walls, and it may be stuff that nobody else knows about, but you do. It may be stuff that only existed in the past, but the enemy of your soul is determined to keep you down and to keep you neutralized and to keep you ineffective and to keep your mouth shut and to keep you behind walls and to keep you in the shadows. And if you'll realize that they're lies, play it on your emotions and you'll take those things to Jesus. After all, he died for that. He died to rescue from those, you those things. He died to rescue you from behind those walls. And yet, in shame, we hide behind the walls. If we'll take those, those damaged areas of our past, he'll bind up those wounds. 
He'll heal the hurts. He'll break, listen, listen, he'll break the cycles. He'll set us on a path of true recovery and true wholeness. You know, in Ocean County Mall here, right down the street, there was, and there may still be, I haven't been there in a while, but I know there was a store there for many, many years called Things Remembered. Still there. I'll tell them they owe us something for advertising. <laughs> now that store offers items that can be engraved to commemorate special occasions. Anybody ever gotten anything from there? You know. How many of you have ever been in a bridal party and, and you're gonna get a gift, okay, for all that aggravation you went through? <laughs> all the expense of the gown and all the expense of the, the tuxedo and you're gonna get a little keychain with the little thing engraved on it. How many, come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Okay, or a little glass or a little, if you're a guy, you're gonna get that stupid little pewter mug, you know. Uh, they do any of that stuff anymore. But many people give engraved items in honor of a special day, like a wedding like that or a shared moment or something. And, and if you've ever received a gift like that, you know, it, it does mean something to you and you, you want to hold on to that because it, it reminds you of that special occasion. People like to remember happy times and significant events. It's, it's healthy for us. Memories are precious. You know, they keep us connected to people, even if those people are not in our lives anymore keeps us connected to places and to events and things that have shaped and influenced our lives. And it's good for us to remember. It is good for us to remind ourselves continuously that Jesus did not leave us on the outside of those walls. That Jesus was not content to just come to the earth and work some miracles. He wasn't content to come here and gather multitudes to come and hear him. He wasn't content they were only the means to the true purpose that he came here. And I can only imagine, every time he went to Jerusalem, oh, went to that temple. None of the other disciples could have possibly known what he was thinking, but they must have saw, why is he always drawn to that room? Why is he always drawn to that place in the very center, the holiest spot on earth? I could just imagine him constantly talking to somebody and looking at that room and talking to somebody and looking at that room, healing somebody and looking at that room, knowing one of these days I'm coming after you. One of these days I'm going to shatter those walls. I'm going to break down that curtain. It's never going to again be only a certain group of individuals can get into the presence there. I'm not leaving this earth until I take care of that mission. And some of us, unfortunately, may wish we could forget some things. But even life's challenges can offer lasting lessons through the adversity when we take them all to him, remembering what he's done for us. You know, in the King James Bible, the word remember appears 148 times. That's just constant, constant reminder. Remember, remember. Remember, remember the things I've done for you. Remember the land that I took you out of. Remember the land that I brought you into. Remember the houses that you occupied that you didn't build. Remember the vineyards that you drank from that you never planted. Remember the wells that you didn't dig. Remember, remember, 
Remember, and Jesus follows it at the Last Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the Passover that he was celebrating that night serves one purpose. Remember what God did for us and how he rescued us from the slavery of Egypt. And each year when Passover is celebrated, Jews all over the world are reminded of the almighty God who in his own words said, with an outstretched arm, I took you out of that hellhole. And to prove that he meant business, he reduced the strongest, most powerful empire in the world up to that day to ruins just to show that he is God Almighty. And even though you held these people for over 400 years, I now have come to rescue my people. And every year, when Passover is celebrated, they're reminded. They're reminded of the promises that were made to their ancestor Abraham. That God would bless him, that God would protect his descendants, that God would reunite his descendants to the land that he had promised Abraham. And very much like that, every time we Christians gather together all over the world to take communion, whether it's in a magnificent cathedral or if it's in a thatch hut, we remember how our gracious God placed all of our sin, wow, upon that precious lamb. All of our shame, all of our sickness, all of our disease placed upon him. And Isaiah says, and by his stripes, we are healed. So, this cup is like an engraved keepsake. That bread and that cup remind us of that event that took place 2,000 years ago. That shocking demonstration of overpowering love that can only come from God. Now listen to me. The theme of the Last Supper was remembrance. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't know. Jesus didn't say, crucify me over and over again. Jesus didn't say, make a ritual out of it. Jesus didn't say, withhold it from people that you don't like. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember how I suffered. Remember what it cost. Remember that I paid for your sins. Remember that the way to salvation is open now. Remember that. Remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father without him, and that is a fact. Now listen, as we get ready to take communion together, it's equally important to remember that it's our responsibility to go and share this good news It's not right for us to hold on to this. It's not right for us. We come here on a Saturday night. Many are going to come. Hundreds are going to come tomorrow. And this is like it's our thing. This is our thing. This belongs to us. He died for us. There was a time that you and I were on the other side of that wall. Remember what it was like to be on the other side of that wall. Remember what it was like to cry at night. Are you real? Can you help me? Remember what it was like to have a wall separating you from him. 
because there's family members of yours that are still on the other side of that wall. There's coworkers of yours that are still on the other side of that wall. There's neighbors that are still on the other side of that wall. And just because they might smile and make believe everything's going on, great, they wail and cry in their hearts to know him. Every once in a while, we need to slip out, climb their wall, and drag them over that to the other side. The best way that you and I can honor our Savior, who suffered so much, is to get somebody and sit them down and say, let me just tell you what's going on. God's not mad at you any longer. God has not, has not been responsible for all that tragedy in your life. In fact, he sent his son to die on the cross so you could be united to his heart and that when you do walk through tragedy, you're not walking alone. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about the forgiveness that I've experienced. Let me tell you about what he's done in my life and what he could do in your life. What good is it that we come here and celebrate this and we hoard it to ourselves. Are you with me, church? I pray that God gives us opportunities. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.